Welcome to Artful Conversations, a podcast about arts and cultural management. I'm Anita Latham. And I'm Katrina Ingram. We interview leaders who help shape the world of arts and culture, sharing their stories, their insights and observations. This season has been brought to you with the support of McEwen University and the Rosé Foundation. Welcome to Artful Conversations. I'm your host, Anita Latham. I'm joined today with Karen Ball, Interim President and CEO of Calgary's Chamber of Voluntary Organisations. Karen is a nationally recognised culture and community leader with over 20 years developing the community and cultural landscape in Canada. Through her consulting practice, she has been a thought leader and collaborator in key community planning within Alberta, including providing strategic direction and leading multiple stakeholder consultations for Calgary 2026 for the potential of the Olympic and Paralympic bid. She's worked with the City of Calgary in the creation of their cultural plan and the Government of Alberta for the Premier's Council of Culture to advise Alberta's cultural perspective and provincial contribution to the Canada 150. She has served as the Director of Community Investment for Calgary Arts Development, Partnership Liaison, Western Canada with the Canadian Council and the Executive Director of Calgary's Year of Culture Capital of Canada. Welcome Karen. Thank you, great to be here. Um, I understand, what a, what a fab, first of all, what a fabulous career um, and I understand that you started your career in Toronto, but you've now relocated to Calgary. Um, and you've become a nationally recognised culture and community leader. Can you tell us a little bit about why you chose to base yourself in Calgary? Sure. You know, I all have to be honest and say I am actually an Edmonton born and bred uh, woman myself. Uh, I love the city. Um, what a great place to grow up and a great place to experience culture. Um, and I was educated in Toronto. So I started there by route of university. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of, I did what every 20 year old should do. And I bought a 1970 Dodge van and um, took off for a couple of years <laughs> and drove <laughs> all over North America and Canada with this sort of idealistic thought that I would find the ultimate place to live and uh, and it was good learning because I realized pretty quickly that uh, place is so connected to people and I just couldn't yeah. kind of imagine living without the people that I had grown up around in Edmonton and missed so dearly and so I actually returned to Edmonton um, and then went to the Banff Centre right. for a number of years. Yeah. And then um, Banff is a funny little place. You work in the Banff Centre, so you are connected to people all over the world yeah. all the time. And then you realize that you live in a very tiny town. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to advance a career in culture in a, in a town like Banff, outside of the Banff Centre. Right, yes. Um, so, yeah, by virtue of just wanting to, to grow myself as a professional and challenge yep. myself, um, 
it, I had to leave Banff. So I, I moved to Calgary. <laughs> I moved to Calgary to become the um, director of advancement at ACAD, right. which is now AU Arts. Right. So that was really interesting. And then uh, have been in Calgary ever since and um, enjoy this city, Miss Edmonton, of yep. course. <laughs> but I think, you know, how lucky are we to live in a province with two such great cities so oh, close together. Yeah. Very much so. Karen, mm-hmm. with your extraordinary experience and consultancy work in culture, what was mm-hmm. it that drew you to working with the Chamber of Voluntary Organisations? I sat on their board for six years, right. which I always thought was a real um, privilege for me. I have this kind of rule of thumb about board members. Yeah. When you're recruiting a board member, you can think, is this better for the person or is it better for the organization? Yeah. And you should try to find board members where the advantage is a little bit more on the organizational yeah. side. Um, and I think I brought a little bit to the, to the Calgary Chamber when I was there as a board member, but I also really feel like I got the advantage because yeah. there's um, there are few opportunities professionally, I think uh, you would agree, where you can get a 30,000 foot view on a sector. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And often, and particularly, I think in the arts, um, if you're working in administration, then it's very hard to kind of get your head up and see. Uh, the larger moving pieces. It's often hard to understand advocacy at those levels, um, systemic kind of ideas about the ecosystem. And so when, you know, when it's a chamber of voluntary organizations, which includes obviously arts and culture, they're the largest um, number of organizations, nonprofit organizations in the province are arts and culture organizations, um, closely followed by health and social um, but it's hard to kind of get a feeling for the structure and system of that entire sector Yeah. Um, when you're inside it. And I'm a real uh, mapping the sector kind of nerd. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I loved being on that board. Um, and then they had a, a fairly rapid um, uh period of time where they realized they were losing their then CEO. Right. Um, and so they needed an interim position. Uh, and so they uh, called me because I was a consultant. Yeah. And I was able to shift around and move in on an interim basis. Um, and I suppose by the time this airs, it will be known, but I am now their permanent um, president and CEO. So that congratulations. Interim, thank you. Has translated itself. Um so that's kind of how it it happened. It was a bit advantageous, but I've always really enjoyed um, being situated in places where you can have effect on systems. Yeah, yeah, and and that I was just about to kind of ask you, and that leads into this question: like, what was what is in the the chamber's vision and mission that really resonated with you that drew you to it? Because I think. Um, one of the interesting things in Alberta is the very high level of voluntary organisations that are here, and especially in the arts and culture, you know, a lot of 
volunteers are heavily involved and in some way make the certainly in Edmonton make the practice in the arts and cultural sector and our festivals quite sustainable because of the heavy involvement from volunteers so for you what was it that kind of resonated in um, Mm -hmm. CCVO's mission and vision that drew you to it initially? Mm-hmm. Well, I love the concept, obviously, of volunteerism. Do you know that in a weird way, Calgary almost sort of invented um, the notion of volunteerism in large-scale events through the oh, wow. um, Calgary 80 Olympics? Oh, that's amazing. No, I yeah. did not know that. Thank you Where, for that insight. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we, we had said at the time to the IOC, well, we're not going to pay for these staffing positions. People are just going to do them. And yeah. the international community didn't even really understand the concept of what volunteerism oh, wow. was. And um, and so Calgary is is an interesting city with a long history that way of citizen engagement in yeah building its its future as is Edmonton um, the Calgary Chamber of Voluntary Organizations is so inappropriately named in that it actually is a chamber for nonprofit organizations right. but at the time it was formed there was a charitable is it a charity is it a nonprofit yeah. is it a social profit and I think we're still probably having that discussion yeah. <laughs> what what is this um, so although we don't work directly with volunteers we work completely with organizations in the right. nonprofit sector. And so what draws me to that is um, the the notion of working at the policy level, at the research level, and yeah. at the advocacy level to give voice. And I'm really a huge proponent of that. And then inversely, also being able to bring people together. Yeah. So I think we don't do enough generally at the cross-sectoral level. You right. know, how is the private sector connected to yeah. the nonprofit sector connected to government and how are we seeing the work that we do is advancing shared objectives that are really about the community. Yeah, that tri-partnership is always an interesting dialogue and, you know, we always get into, when you talk about that tri-partnership, you always get into kind of ownership and who has the most power and who has, who, you know, who holds the most authority and, um, that navigating of a um, tri-relationship, I think, is always a really interesting, interesting perspective. So, for you, f- having watched um, the organisation grow, for you, where you know, where do you think it should be heading? I mean, are you going to rename it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it seems like an obvious low-hanging fruit, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, it's it's brand is is good in Calgary under its current name. So I I don't know. I don't know that that would be. Let's just say let's just say no. In the ocean. And <laughs> um, your you new know, role that could be your first thing in your brand new official role. Let's change the name. Right. That's right. Uh, I think you know societally. Um, the the global pandemic because this is sort yeah. of a time-based conversation you can't really have the conversation without thinking about that yeah. um has changed a lot of things and one of the things i think that it has changed is that people are a lot more aware of um community in the down the street and around the corner sense yeah. of the word yeah so your neighbors are hyper important to you now um our values are changing 
Calgary does a vital signs survey, as does Edmonton, yeah. and I think most major cities in the country. And um, in this year's vital signs survey, which just was released, um, they asked what things are most important. And uh, the, the types of things that are tracked and measured under that are, are health, freedom, money, and relationships. Yeah. And Calgary has always had money fairly high. And um, this year's vital signs, 72% of people said relationships. It's number one. Yeah. And 29% said money. It's the last. And wow, it's this interesting. Is the first. It? Yeah. it is very interesting. I feel like what it signals to me is that um, I'm going to call the nonprofit sector the social sector. I think arts and culture sits squarely within that. Yeah, very much um, so. This is a serious opportunity to have a discussion about the kind of community we want to have and how we build the prosperity of that community. Yeah. Um, well beyond a conversation about our economic prosperity, which of course we have been having in this province for years and other places and, and will continue to do so. But I do think that there is a Albertan people priority. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the prosperity of their communities. Yeah. So there's a great segue into what for you in your new role, do you uh, important plans and goals for, I think not only the Calgary, but also the Albertan nonprofit community. Like what, what Mm -hmm. are you hoping to achieve now that you're official in your new role uh, Mm -hmm. in this role? Yeah. Well, I mean, Provincially, uh, from a government perspective, I'm hoping that we get a seat at the table. Yeah. I personally think it's quite appalling that we have a provincial strategy for recovery that does not even consider or mention this sector. Yeah. Um, and, and when you think about parts of this sector, such as the arts and culture um, sectors, they have been decimated overnight. Yes, yeah. And to have no consideration for what strategically will be required to sustain and maintain um, cultural vitality through yeah. these organizations is is a, a massive oversight. Um, not to mention that there are massive swaths of the sector that are social service, that are truly frontline responders. Yeah. They're yeah. the ones that we rely upon. It's um, how we care for our elderly. It's how we educate our children. It's um, how we look after the most vulnerable and ourselves when we're sick. And yet we are not paying any attention strategically to how to support that work yeah so we have this history in a province i think um personally that you know we should be saying hey look when we're at our best we save for when we're at our worst and so when we're at our worst we can um give the supports that are necessary for the sector that actually delivers a, a majority of the frontline response yeah yeah but we haven't done that. We've really stripped this sector to bare bones. Who amongst the arts doesn't know this? Yeah. You work uh, tireless hours under incredible stress with very little capacity often mm. to do the work that you need to do. Um, and so when an opportunity comes to actually do something, I witnessed this when we were Canada's cultural capital and yeah. um, and it, you can draw parallels between a pandemic and response. Yeah. There is no gas in the tank. Yes, yeah. You know, it just just falls. It's more, it's less capacity, less resources, and more work. And so, you know, for me, it starts with a seat at the table. Yeah. 
uh, a way for people to say, hey, when I think about the top three things that are important to me in Alberta, it might be, you know, being able to work and afford uh, to live here for myself and my family. But somewhere up there is a quality of life indicator that is 100% reliant on yeah. the social sector. Yeah. And, um, and we get there through a variety of ways. But I think that that's giving voice to that and pushing that forward is, is really necessary. And it's difficult to get a coordinated response on advocacy around these kinds of things. But um, that's what I'm hoping we can be doing at the Calgary Chamber of Voluntary Organizations. Yeah, we're actually the the oldest chamber of, of nonprofits in Canada. And um, probably one of the strongest advocates in the province right now, yeah. even though we're uh, physically based in Calgary. So I, I think it's attainable. It's. I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier about the arts and cultural sector. And mm-hmm. I think it is really interesting, like you said, in Alberta, we have been, I think, decimated was your word. And I think that... Um, does describe yep. the situation uh, in a in a fair manner actually and i think what's really interesting about that is when you think about that situation occurring some of that was kind of a little bit pre covid and now covid certainly has um really really kind of slammed it against the wall really mm-hmm. and what's really interesting is that some of the recovery strategy from COVID that's starting to happen on a in a global dialogue is the cultural tourism and bringing that back, you know, the thinking about tourism and cultural tourism in relation to economic re- recovery and all of those kind of things. And uh, I, you know, don't know how you feel, but my when I hear that, my kind of in a advocate says well hang on a minute <laughs> the this the sector's decimated then and, and so to use that as a tool as a recovery is an interesting thing because to do that you need to invest in it um uh-huh. to to assist the sector so it's a really it's really interesting work that you are you are heading into like you said to get yourself a seat at the table um so what for what from your perspective do you think are the key things that um, help the chamber give you know contribute to the voice for not profits and get that seat at the table? Mm-hmm. Um, a few things uh, for us, it's a combination of research. Yeah. So I mean, we have to be able to quantifiably say certain things. Yes. Um, right now, I can tell you that, um, you know, across the country, 69% of nonprofits are seeing a, a diminished revenue, but in Alberta, yeah. it's 75. We're, wow. we're six percentage points higher. It's related not only to um, the pandemic, but also the softening of the economy. And yes. of course, um, Alberta has always, and particularly Calgary, um, and our arts organizations um, definitively have been had had a higher share of their percentage of revenue from corporate sources than anywhere else in the country. Yeah. So when um, industry uh, disappears, so does that funding. So, you know, being able to quantify the problem, who is the most affected and how, and at what rate is a big part of it. Yeah. And then being able to identify policy solutions that get at that problem. So, we're building policy solutions for governments at every um, 
order, but we're also building private sector solutions right. and solutions for ourselves as a sector and solutions for funders. So identifying recommendations. It's interesting because a lot of um, the things I've been thinking about lately are, you know, yes, it's great to be at the table. And yes, we have to ask for a seat at the table. And yes, we have to show that we have value to have yeah. that seat at the table. But we also can't wait to be invited. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very know, much so. We just have to put our, we have to say, yeah, we know you have a table. Here's what we're recommending you do. And, and here it is quite clearly. And here's the people that support it and the advocates that have the ear. Um, I think that's all very important. I think yeah. at this time in our province, it's also, um, we can't have regional conversations. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, we have to figure that out. Yeah. Um, regionality is interesting and important. You know, if you have a, a, a theater organization in a small center and they have the ear of their MLA, then yeah. that can be a very powerful piece of advocacy. Yeah. Um, but we all have to be singing from the same songbook yeah, in terms of yeah. what, what we think the priorities are right now um, for for the sector. Yeah, and I think there is something to be said for that um, collaborative uh, voice and collective voice um, because, like you said, it's us all singing from the same songbook, but it also empowers us. You know, it empowers the smaller rural community um organization to know that they do have um, somebody who is supporting them and you know where they may think their voice isn't heard in a wider provincial platform it actually is so I I think it's absolutely fantastic Um, one of the things I think that was really interesting around what the chamber does when I was kind of doing a little bit of background research is you run a number of programs um, there and some programmings and you provide those both to members and non-members in relation to that what could you talk about what's a member and what's a non-member uh, <laughs> yep. and, and are we breaking down those borders and yep. and in and in that um is is there a particular course that you kind of think sits in in that you you're passionate about that is really good for the members and the non-members mm-hmm. that's an it you know we could do a whole podcast on we, we could <laughs> Another like, we'll do another one. <laughs> yeah, we'll do another one. So exciting for people that like charts and graphs, a yeah. podcast on membership. Um, so but the reality is I think all I mean, any member organization and I artist run centers, I'm thinking yeah. about, you know, there's tons of different membership models, alumni yes. associations, like there's tons of tons. Yeah. The sort of rule of thumb is it always costs more to run a membership program than you get in membership fees. Yeah. So that's just A. So it's usually not about um, membership fees. Yeah. And as I look at what we're doing with the chamber, I think, you know, um, there's another model there in the future, I think, that is less member and more supporter. Yeah. And I look at some of this sort of disruption that's happened uh, for instance, in the media world, yeah. where you had um, used to subscribe to a newspaper and that thing would come on your doorstep, yep. or you can have a digital subscription. I don't even, I wonder if digital subscriptions are growing. I doubt it, yeah. actually. Um, I don't know for sure. But uh, but one thing that is really growing is the notion of supporting independent journalism. Yeah. 
And that's not really about subscribing. No. That's often very patient journalism. Yeah. It's not coming every day. It's not part of the regular news cycle. Um, in Calgary, we have independent journalism. I'm sure that it's there in Edmonton as yeah. well. Um, and I would support it as opposed to subscribe to it. And then as a supporter, I'm indicating that something is important to me. I'm yeah. becoming part of a larger voice. Um, I'm more likely to be proud of my affiliation. I'm more likely to show that pride in in how I identify myself. Yeah. Um, and that is a very powerful tool to harness a community. And um, I would love for our chamber to be less about members and more about supporters. Yeah. And yeah. then just generously serve the sector. I mean, in everything that we do, I think for every organization, you have to ask yourself, is this better for the people that we serve? Yeah. And we're all, if you work for a nonprofit, no matter what subsector you're in, you're in service Yeah. to something, right? Yes. So, um, our membership program now, I would say, um, is a mechanism to meet sort of a system of how people get involved. Yeah. But I think we have to evolve that um, quite rapidly because the world around us has changed. And um, and so we're, we're being very generous with our programs because we recognize that to do that is better for the people that we serve. Yeah. And then we're helping our members be advocates. Right. So we're, we're saying, thank you for being a member. Here are the tools that you can use to be part of something bigger than all of each of us yeah. collaboratively yeah um to move more to a supporter perspective yeah 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 i i really liked your comment around support and membership because you're i agree with you i think membership now is a changing field and as we certainly curate our lives more than we ever, ever, ever have done before, thanks to digital technology, you know, we membership is a, an unusual thing that we're all part of or not part of. And, um, you know, that notion of being a member of something that because your mum was and your grandmother was before, you know, that kind of generational membership stuff. Um, I think is it is then yeah like we said we could do a whole podcast on it because I think that really does impact the arts especially the traditional arts where yes. it's that generational membership stuff I think is really moving but I'm taking us massively off track. <laughs> well, there's there's subscribers. Yes, like, yes. Like we we can we can address that in our membership yes, podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I want to come back to what you were saying about the programs and you know them being offered and. Um, the generosity that the Chamber's showing to support people in doing those. One of the things that I saw was the Reach Hire Not-for-Profit Career Centre and I thought it was a magnificent tool that um, the Chamber's been doing. And um, do you, from your perspective in relation to that tool, do you feel like it, it allows some strengthening in the voluntary sector in Calgary or, you know, for you, what's the key purpose, I guess, of that tool? Oh, for sure. And it's, it, it's essentially a nonprofit job board. I think it could yeah. go further and be more of a marketplace. Yeah. 
Um, and, and it has the ability to do that. We also run something called the Bolin survey, which is a national salary survey. So if you, if yeah. you're wondering, you know, how to place a new role inside your organization yeah. or what compensation or benefit should look like, then you can go there. Um, for me, of course, they're delivering, uh, an important resource. Yeah for nonprofit organizations. But because I come from 25 years of working on the cultural sector, yeah. I've started to really think about what uh, what I can see for myself juxtap- is a juxtaposition between <laughs> the cultural sector and maybe the broader nonprofit sector. Yeah. And the broader nonprofit sector tends to have a lot of people involved in it that are from social services. The difference I think is that in the cultural sector, we are all very good at thinking about enterprise. Yes. So, um, so we're doing something that is mandate directive, whether it's creating a gallery show or putting a play on the stage or whatever it is, a festival, but it is an enterprise. And we think of it as an enterprise and we're setting tickets and we're thinking about, um, how to build revenue centers and these kinds of things. And it's that thinking is quite valuable because it isn't as well developed on the other side of the coin. Yeah. And so for me, I'm like, Oh, I, (laughs) we have a job board. That's an enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) We have a salary survey. That's an enterprise. And um, what we're seeing federally in Canada is that social enterprise and social enterprise funding is going to become, I think, the most promising area for nonprofit organizations in terms of seeking support from governments or other partners. Yes. And so the arts, it, it does sort of mean that the arts should be thinking carefully about what social enterprise means. Yes. Um, generally and understanding their intersection with it but also it's really helpful for me to come from that background because I'm like okay we're running a social enterprise (laughs) (laughs) right now um you know uh 70 of our funding is from core funders in the government and and and, um, in the public sector but I'd like that to be switched so that 70 percent of our funding is self derived and, yeah. and and I think by scaling and growing some of the tools that we have that are actual enterprises that are delivering social impact we'll get there so you know this is that's how it sits in my mind and yeah. maybe that's not exactly <laughs> the tactical answer but um you know people there's 450,000 people employed 10 billion dollars to the gdp so this is not a small sector and, and the churn is massive. Yeah. So a job board is a great undertaking for yeah. us to have. I, I wish that there was an arts job board that was provincial actually. Um, and if anyone's listening to this, that's thinking about a business idea, I think you could actually, <laughs> you could actually see this as a profitable enterprise. Yeah, very um, much so. Yeah. I, I want to dip in a little bit into what you've said about being um, involved in the arts for quite some time, the arts and cultural sector. And uh, one of the most common things I get asked is a, as um, uh, an academic who um, has also worked in the art sector for the past 20 odd years of my life is um, 
how do you do a consultancy practice, basically? <laughs> I have a number of people ask me that question. So tell us a little bit about your consultancy practice and what kind of work did you do? I mean, we talked at the introduction about your big ticket items, but what was some of the, how did you get into it and what was some of the work you did in, inside that arena as a consultant? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I was in my 20s, mid 20s, I was like, I'm a consultant, but I was not a consultant. Yeah. <laughs> I was a contract worker. Yeah. I was a gig worker. Yeah. And it's really different. Um, and you can be a gig worker in this economy, in this sector quite easily. Um, and everybody kind of knows that yeah. piece. Yeah. Um, and then it, the second kind of iteration of that, I really was a consultant, meaning yeah. um, I'm bringing value in that an organization doesn't necessarily have. Mm-hmm. It, it might just mean that they have it and they don't have the time for it, but it might also mean that this is not an expertise that they would carry inside yeah. their organization. Um, and so I think you have to be able to identify that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in the arts, a lot of people um, don't do that. Yeah, they basically are gig worker that has a lot of experience. Yeah. Um, So you have to be super clear. What is the value that you're selling and why and why would an organization want it? And so then people will get on on the kind of trajectory of strategic planning and things like that that are just normally you would bring a consultant in to do that. I really tried in my own practice to not do that. Yeah. So. Um, one of the things that I am is a system strategist. Right. Uh, but that does not necessarily mean that I'm just going to come in and do your strategic plan. <laughs> but if you want to have an interesting conversation with your staff or your board, <laughs> I can make that happen. I guarantee you that you'll leave that conversation with a clear focus on whatever the problem at hand is. Yeah. So being able to frame an issue and guide a conversation through it. Um, and the other thing that I also recognized that I could do, and maybe it's because I was a fundraiser, I was a fund giver, I was a festival producer, yeah. I built infrastructure, was I can um, take a one-off complicated idea and organize it and deliver it. Yeah. So, you know, that it sounds like it's kind of gig worker, but it's sort of very specialized. Yeah. And then the third thing I knew I knew how to do was create policy and policy positions. Right. Um, and so I made myself a promise that I would stay consulting as long as I had bread and butter clients mm-hmm. because I like to eat just like everybody yes. else. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and I'm the breadwinner for my family. Yeah. So there was no safety net. Um, and so I had a, the government of Alberta asked me to step in and to work with the premier's council on culture at the time yeah. to develop uh, strategies for the advancement of culture and cultural prosperity for the province. And so it was working with the community of people to help focus them. I wasn't facilitating. They had a facilitator. Um, I was designing the process through which the conversation would lead yeah. to whatever the strategic recommendation was. Yeah. And that was really fun and it kept me employed and it allowed me to do other things um, and grow my practice from there. And so that's, I was lucky enough to have that. I think that that's, that's part of how success is, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So in your process as a consultant, what do you, um, 
what kind of do you do that ensures the work you do is long lasting, deep mm-hmm. and has meaningful connections, not only with the person who pays the bill, but mm-hmm. also with the community that they then engage with moving forward for them as an organisation? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things. Uh, one is I custom build everything. Yeah. So it's not really the best business model for me in that it's quite labor intensive. Yeah. But um, I actually don't really think one size fits all yeah. is great. Yeah. I have tools in my toolkit that yeah. I can apply. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not like, there's this thing I invented called the SWOT analysis. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Don't we all don't wish we'd invented that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I, I I also make a lot of time for conversation. Yeah. Um, I believe in that. I think consultation is conversation. Yes. Um, and so that's really important. Um, and then I have learned for myself that knowing how to build trust is a very, very important professional tool for yes. me. Yes, yeah. So if I can't um, if I can't do something in a way that people trust me to deliver on it, I won't do it. Yeah. And sometimes that's because I don't have the acumen, and sometimes it's because the environment isn't right. Yeah. But you have to be able to come into an organization and deliver something that people trust in you to do. Yeah. And often that's something that like often my clients are this are the in the executive director chair. Yes. Yeah. And that's a really lonely chair. Yeah. Yes. Where you don't have a lot of colleagues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you can have someone you trust and um they can do something for you that actually helps you solve something. Yeah then that's how you build a relationship that is a repeat client relationship for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and and it's an interesting thing because trust often means telling people things they don't want to hear. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I take that really, really seriously. Yeah. And, uh, and I bring a lot of respect for the people I work with into the relationship because I know that they are um, in need of that kind of trusted collegial um, space. Yeah, that is wonderful. That thank you. That's uh, I think um, what you've explained is actually just incredibly powerful. And like you've said, you know, there are a lot of people who yearn for the ED after their name. Um, and like you said, when you get there, it can be you're at the star at the top of the Christmas tree. There's nothing. There's nothing up there with you, um, and it can be a very lonely, lonely place. You've had a pretty incredible career, um, and you've worked with some amazing clients and some very big ones. Do you have a favourite and a favourite project? <laughs> a favourite project? Yeah. Or a favourite oh, client? Oh, the same thing. <laughs> That's trouble, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I My favorite project to date has been the one I'm currently involved in yeah and I never thought that I would stop consulting because I love it and what I love about it is that every new job is a new challenge yeah 
And I am that kind of person. I know that for myself. I get bored really easily. Um, and then I'm just these making challenges for yeah. myself. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> but um, but uh, this organization is quite dynamic. Yeah. And it is quite responsive. And I think in that responsiveness, it, it is kind of creates that um, constant challenge, new yeah. challenge, which I crave. But I have always loved big, really complicated, really one-off specific kind of things that, um, that are born, that happen, and then, um, and then deliver legacy. Yes. But do not maintain themselves. Yeah. I'm I I'm a big fan of I'm more of a st- spider plant than an oak tree. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, and uh, that a wonderful <laughs> description. And so we've talked about you know now that you have the role that's you know it clearly ex- it shows us what's what's in store for you in the future. Um, and you know you've mentioned about stepping away from consultancy at this point to enable you to focus on your new role. Um, so, but for the chamber, what do you? We touched on this a little bit. What do you think is um, in the future for the chamber? You know, we joked about changing the name, but for you, you know, if you're looking at your five years of your leadership, uh, what do you would hope? If we were sitting having this conversation in five years' time, what would you hope that you'd you'd be able to say? You know, what we achieved that, and I'm really proud of that. That's such a good question, isn't it? I just wrote down in my notebook like earlier today, in 10 years, blank. (laughs) Well, I shortened it. I only made it five. I've been a bit kinder to you. Lighten up on yourself. (laughs) You are, uh, you know, this is not achievable in five years, but I think if in 10 years people that are, deeply interested in social change understand that something is happening in Alberta that they can work here that that is possible yeah and I and it sounds so weird to say that now because we do such a good job of telling the world that it's not possible yeah you know in so many ways in how we present ourselves um but um we also tell the world that we are a province of entrepreneurs. Yes. Yeah. And we tell the world that it doesn't matter what your last name is or where you came from, that when you come here, you're here. Yeah. Part of our community. And we are a province of immigrants and we are a province of pioneers yeah (laughs) and we have a rich and incredible thousands of years of cultural history here i mean we're an interesting interesting place where we have been defining ourselves as the what the iteration of the next phase of cities looks like i think edmonton actually is in a really good place to define what the future of large canadian cities looks like yeah yeah. And it's not going to be like growing into a Toronto. It's going to be something totally different. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that that will only be propelled and made stronger if we are also a place where people that want to change the world come. Yeah. And so to do that, we have to have the mechanisms for people to that want to change the world to be able to change the world from here. 
And so, you know, that's lofty. Yeah. It's up there. That's it's great. Terrifying. <laughs> but if we were attracting and keeping people like that, as yeah. opposed to those people leaving, which I think now is we're in real danger of yeah. starting to see if we haven't already then, I mean, we have to turn that around. Yeah, yeah, I think knowledge drain is um, a, a very serious situation for any community. Um, Karen, it's been fascinating talking to you and we could talk forever. Um, <laughs> we just we should just do a series of podcasts, the Karen yeah. and Netta chat. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. but Part it, one, membership. Yeah. Part two, charts and graphs. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else that you'd like to add to our conversation before we wrap it up for the day <laughs> well this has been really nice actually I, I i feel like now i have to do a podcast and ask you lots of questions because <laughs> i was very <laughs> interested in your background yeah. as well yeah it's it's i'm i'm this is our second series and i haven't been on on the answer the question end of it at this stage <laughs> But look, it was lovely to meet you and thank you so much for your time. And I look really, you know, we can all look forward to seeing what the Chamber's going to do in the next 10 years. Um, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Anita. The pleasure has been all mine. Thanks. Katrina, it was so exciting talking to Karen and, um, you know, if, if her and I ever kind of run a sideline podcast, I'll let you know. <laughs> but I think one of the things that there was, there was so much in that interview, there was so, so much in that interview. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting that we talked about was membership. And what does membership mean now? You know, is membership... Um, something you watch on YouTube and you go subscribe and your bell rings every Sunday when that person posts something. Am I a member of something then? Um, you know, and what is subscription? Is is a membership monetized? Isn't it monetized? And I, I mean, it's fascinating. It'll be really interesting watching how she develops the membership in the chamber. Um, to see where she explores that thing. I just thought it was fascinating. And also to see whether she changes the name. That will be interesting. That will be interesting. I do, I picked up on that as well, this notion of what is a member in the context of, of the world today. Um, and I also picked up on this other phrase, seat at the table. That was yeah. something that came up a lot. And she talked about the importance of getting a seat at the table. And sometimes you can't wait to be invited to get to the table. You have to kind of take your place at the table and, and just get yourself there. Um, and then the last point that really resonated with me was around funding and this idea of um, the intersection of the arts and social enterprise. And she talked about 70% of the funding right now coming from core funders like government and the public sector. And the fact that she wants to kind of flip this into 70% being self-funded through social yeah. enterprise. And that's ambitious. And I, I thought that was really interesting how she's kind of framed this argument um, and really talked about the opportunity to, to do that and to fund the organization differently. This show was created by executive producer and host Annetta Latham, co-host Katrina Ingram, and technical producer Paul Johnson. Research assistants involved were Caitlin McKinnon and McEwen Batcher of Music Students. Theme music by Emily Darfour and cover by Constanza Patcher. Special thanks to the Rose Foundation for their support and to our guest. Artful Conversations is a production of McEwen University. All rights reserved.